this morning, my wife wanted me to mention also that uh, there were 152 trays that went out yesterday, right? 152. And so 152 people were blessed with uh, Thanksgiving food. So thank you all. Amen. It was a tremendous blessing. Amen. You can go ahead and take your seats. I'm going to be reading from, to you from uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. A couple of verses there, verse 20 through 23. And so I'll be reading uh, from the New International Version. This is what it says. It says, Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we read your word that you would speak to us about its meaning and, and our responsibility for others who may be found in similar situations. I pray that you would speak to us, anoint your word, Father, I pray. Enable us, my God, to understand what you say to your church this morning here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, when God flooded the earth, the Bible tells us that it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights. A lot of rain. Not only did rain fall from the sky, according to the Bible, but the ground broke open and water rushed up from below the earth, underneath the ground. And it covered every mountain peak around the globe, as, as it's described in Scripture, so that no land anywhere was visible anywhere in the world. And from the time that God shut the door of the ark, when Noah and his family entered into the ark, to the time that they stepped out of the ark, according to Scripture, if you calculate all the time that is descriptive there, that is described there and recorded there, it's just about a year's time, 300, about 364 days that they were inside of the ark for about a year, locked up inside of the ark, not including the time that it took Noah to build the ark. Now, the Bible says that he was a man of the soil, a farmer. And, and so from the time that he built the ark and was on the ark, he ceased from his, his farming, uh, you know, his farm work, right? And, and so some say that it took him between 60 and 100 years to build the ark. Nobody knows for sure. He was an old guy. He, he lived a lot, a lot of years. But from 60 years to 100 years building the ark, a year on the ark, it was a long time, a long, very long time that he was there on the ark. Having put aside his farming duties. And so now it's a brand new world. He's stepping off the ark 
It's a brand new word. Well, we're reading about here in verse 9, he's come off the ark already. The world is new. It's a, a different world. Everyone in the world has passed away except for him and his family. God opens up the door. He steps off. The world is brand new. Freshly watered. Everything is watered. Amen. There are no deserts on that day. You know, everything was watered completely. The, the water covered the earth. And so he returns, the Bible says, to his former occupation as a farmer in a brand new world. So everything's new. And now he begins to farm. He begins to plant a, a vineyard. He grew some grapes and made some wine. Why did he begin there? Who knows? I don't know. Well, that's where he started. And after drinking some of that first batch of wine, it knocked him out. It knocked him out. Now, now, many see this as accidental and involuntary, that he made this wine, and perhaps the vine in this newly restarted world was so much more potent than the vines of the past, the grapes of the past, or you know, the process may have been the same, but there was something about this moment that he thought, you know, I'm just gonna have a little sip of grape juice and it turned out to be like hitting a 40 ounce or something. I don't know, but he hit it and it knocked him out. And he was completely inebriated after drinking this wine. So much so that he passed out. And for some strange reason, under the influence of his intoxication at this moment, he got undressed, passed out in his tent without covering himself. That's the story, I'm just reading it to you. I'm just telling you what it's saying, you know. I am, I'm not making this up. Just then, as he is knocked out in his tent, in his privacy, his son Ham, his youngest son, just happened to walk into his father's tent. And booyah, there he is. Papa, please, you know. What's going on here? This is the story. This is the story that we're reading. And it's not the fact that he saw what he saw, but what he did as a result of what he saw. That's what's important here. He went directly to his older brothers outside the tent who hadn't seen anything. And he says, hey, you won't believe what I just saw. And he runs it down to them. He reveals his father's shame. Up until this point, for at least, at least 60 years before now, this was the most righteous, the, the most upright, sinless guy on the planet. God is saying, I'm gonna destroy the earth with a flood and I'm gonna save the righteous. And he preached righteousness for about 100 years. If, if we're to calculate these things, some say 100 years. Uh, Peter describes that he preached righteousness for all of these years, telling the world to repent, and nobody listened to him. Nobody except his family. And he and his family escaped the judgment in the world. They escaped God's judgment because of his righteousness, because there was no scandal in his life. There was no, no pointing finger. There was no error in his life. There, he, was, he was spotless up until this point. And the world was all messed up. And here he is, passed out, having 
drank too much. And when his younger son saw him, he went and told his brothers, hey, this is how I saw our father Noah and tarnished a reputation that was spotless up until that point, caught him at a low point in his life. That happens to people sometimes, caught at a low point. That isn't who you always are. That's not who you are all the time, at least for all these years. Man, you've done so much better. You, you've done great things. You were you know, noticed by God, recognized by God, and, and set apart to start a new world, a, a, like, a, a, like a new Adam. And here he is, caught in a low point in his life. And his son sees him. And then he announced, this is who Noah actually is. This is who he is. This is Noah. Never mind the 60 to 100 years of righteousness. Never mind all that. This is who he is. And if he had a cell phone, he would have taken a selfie. Or not a selfie. I hope not a selfie, but a picture probably posted it. This is not the Noah of 60 years ago preaching righteousness. This is not the Noah who escaped the world of the past, the sinfulness where every inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. This isn't the same guy. This is a whole different guy. And all the people who died in the flood, man, if they would have seen this guy, all the pre-flood people, they, they, if they would have seen him like this in his drunkenness and laying out, they would have called him a hypocrite. They would have said, well, why did you escape the flood and we had to die? Those that drank and, and, and were drunken, why, why did you escape? What, what was your excuse? Why, why is it that we had to die in the flood? And here you are, you know, getting drunk and, and, and you know, who knows? His youngest son took an isolated, private, unknown event and made it public and shamed his father. And by doing so, he brought irreparable damage, irreparable shame and disgrace to his family and to his father. Now don't get me wrong, there, there are times when it is absolutely necessary for us to speak up in circumstances that need uh, to be confronted, but there's a big difference between bad behavior that is intentional and those that are accidental. And most Bible scholars say, hey, this was an accidental situation. Who knew that the wine would be so strong? Who knew that? I don't know. Maybe he did drink more than he should have. But who knew that he would pass out and, and, and completely undress himself? And who knew that somebody, before he could cover himself, somebody would come into his tent uninvited? Nobody would have known that. And even if his son walked in unexpectedly, why shame your father? Why tell other people, hey, guess what? Uh, this is what he's like on the inside of the tent. But the other two sons took a different approach. Fascinating story. Having heard the news that their father's condition was the way that it was, immediately, the Bible says that they took a garment and they laid it across their shoulders and then they walked in backwards with a garment in between them and they covered their father's nakedness. They covered his nakedness. They covered 
his shame. This is exactly what God did for the first humans who were caught naked and shameful, who were ashamed of their nakedness. When Adam and Eve found themselves naked and exposed, when they for the first time felt the sensation of shame and what shame felt like, having been completely naked and, and looking at each other, man, how long we've been like this? Without having realized it, after the first sin, God, when he comes on the scene, he covers their disgrace. That was an act of God. God covered them and hid their nakedness. He took away their disgrace. These two sons did what God does. These two sons did what Jesus did for you and I. When we were all messed up, when we were lost in the world, God died for the, the ungodly. Jesus died on the cross and he covered us. All those, all those things that shamefully exposes our fallenness, we were living like fools. And Jesus died on the cross for us to cover our shames. Shame. We were out of our minds. Hello, right? Or is it just me? <laughs> right? We were out of our minds. The Bible describes it this way, and I'll find it for you. It says, you know, insane in the membrane, right? That's the Inglewood version, right? At our Bible study this past week, we had a conversation. We were reading and, and studying Genesis 1, 26 and, and 27. And, and, and there in, in, in that passage of, of the Bible, it says that, that God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. And interesting, because you said these two words, image and likeness. And, and we focused on the difference between those two words, image and likeness. To be made in the image of God means one thing, and to be like God is something else. That we bear God's image, whether you are good or bad, whether you are righteous or unrighteous, sinful or sinless, you were created. The imprint of God's image is built inside of you. That's what makes you redeemable. That's what makes you lovable to God is that you bear his image. And, and, but he says, this is what he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And, and then it goes on. And if you read in the very next verse, in verse 27 there, uh, it says that uh, God says, well, he made man in his image and in his image, he made them male and female. And it says nothing about likeness. It doesn't mention likeness there. It just says that because that first verse talks about what God planned to do, make man in his image and likeness. But the second verse describes what he did and he made man, but he only mentions image. That, and scholars believe that it's because Humanity is supposed to live out the likeness of God. That you bear the image, but you may not be like him. You may not live like him. You may not, in a circumstance, respond to the way Christ would respond or God would respond when he finds people naked and exposed to cover them, to cover their nakedness, to keep them from being shamefully exposed and talked about. And here are two sons that saw their father and they did exactly the kinds of things that God the Father, that God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit would do to cover the shamefulness of those who are shamefully exposed. God's image is built into you. 
whether you know it or not, you have his image, but his likeness has to be cultivated in you and me. By covering his nakedness, his sons, Shem and Japheth, were like God. Not just made in his image, they were like God. They were different. These brothers won't injure you. These brothers won't, uh, you know, leave you vulnerable and shameful in a shameful situation. They won't spread the news about you. When, when they hear of, of shameful things, when they hear the story that, that, uh, that, that would embarrass you, they won't go to tell the next person. They don't go and talk about how they found you. A after years of doing good things and years of building a reputation, and then here's this, this issue, a problem, a mistake, they won't go and injure you. They won't go and hurt you. Posting pictures of you, hello. <laughs> they won't entertain disgraceful thoughts about you, comments that seem to spread like wildfire. Passing on personal and embarrassing information. Today we live in a society that is deeply in, engrossed in shame. In fact, this nation was, it's almost like shame is, has been like entrenched in the way we think in our nation. From the very first Puritans that established colonies, they built stocks and when they catch people uh, doing bad things, they lock them up in the stocks and, and put a, 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 a sign over what they did and people would just be dis disgraced at, you know, look at these people, you know, the, the, the town fool or whatever it was and they would disgrace them. They would shame them. And that was then, we still do it today. If you've ever seen Jerry Springer, right? Mari Povich, that's all they do is shame people, vulnerable, hurting, ignorant individuals who could have help if, if we would provide them help. But you don't have to go on TV, national TV, and sh make a fool of yourself. We do that on social media. We shame one another. We, we, we did that in the class. I don't know if they do that anymore, but I knew I stood in the corner a lot of times in my school, man. If they had dunce caps still, I would have been wearing dunce caps all the time. What this story seems to show is that even though it was the only family that escaped the wickedness of the pre-flood days, even though this was the only family that was considered by God good enough to escape his judgment. Sin just happened to inadvertently creep back in. Sin just happened to show up again. Among the best of families, that happens. It happens in the life of the most righteous man of the time. It can happen in the least expected times through completely unrelated events. Here it is again. Here is sin again. And having done everything to escape it, they escaped it completely with the flood. Everyone that was unrighteous died. Here they are, but here is sin again. Hello, I'm here. A sinful world is back. What you thought you got away from is back. Sin will reemerge through deliberate acts or through accidents. But the highlight of this story is the response of these two sons, the oldest sons. 
And their response in that day should be the way we respond today in similar situations. That garment that they placed over their father was a garment of love. We've been talking about love this month and growing in the grace of love. How do you grow in love? How do you grow in love? Perhaps if you find someone that it, it makes, it, you know, in, in a circumstance where it's easy to, to talk about and shame them, maybe we can cover them with a garment of love. Maybe we can help those that are the most vulnerable, the, the most, uh, you know, in, in, in shameful situations. Perhaps we can cover them. That, that garment, I believe, was a garment of love. It's a garment of reverence and respect. I respect you enough to cover your shame. And each of us needs to carry a little bit of this garment every day, wherever we go. A garment of love that, that they covered their father with is the same kind of garment we can use to cover over our family members and our neighbors and our friends and coworkers. This is love. They made it so that no one else could see their father's shame. They made it so that, man, we don't even want to know what's happening in this tent. We don't want to see it. We want to cover it. We want to make it as if our father's righteousness is, is, is there intact, that there is nothing. Maybe this was a mistake. Let's cover it. If God's going to judge him, let God judge him. But we're not going to do the judging. This is love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all, and I love this, at our Bible study, Richard brought this verse up and we began to talk about it, but it says above all, above everything, over everything. And there's only a couple of places in the Bible that says above all. That means that this is a priority. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is atonement. Love is forgiveness. Paul says that love keeps no records of wrongs, that it never delights in evil, uh, but rejoices with the truth, that it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, that love never fails. What an amazing power that you possess. And with it, you can be like God. You can be like Christ. Not just made in his image. You bear the image. That's inescapable. You bear the image. But it's possible that I can live my entire life and not be like God. Those were his intentions in the creation of humanity. To make us in his image and likeness. And I have the opportunity to be like him. We cover people with love when we treat people with decency and respect. We cover people with love when, when their fallenness is visibly open to everyone and they're exposed. And rather than bringing attention to it, we, we discreetly cover it. We can walk with them and help them to, to grow out of their circumstances, but we cover it. When people are vulnerable, we refuse to mock. We go in backwards. We, we, we hide our faces and we cover the indiscretions. We cover the failings. We cover the mistakes, the shameful situations, the shameful comments that, that have been made, the mistakes that they've made, the sins that we see in those around us. We cover it. This is a fascinating story. A tragic story because 
everything God did and everything, uh, all of his grace to help humanity escape sin. And, and he, God did it. I mean, he, he destroyed the entire world to escape sin. Here it is again. And, and I believe that it shows us that the pervasiveness of sin, that it is always going to be present in the most pristine of environments, the, the most perfect of communities. Sin will pop up. Sin will show its ugly face. So it's up to you to cover over the shame of those around you. In John chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, one of the most dramatic and mysterious passages, in my opinion, in the Bible, and uh, it's discreet, one of those that you don't see uh, talked about very much, but there it's what, what uh, Bible scholars and theologians call the insufflation of Christ. The insufflation where he breathed upon his disciples. Powerful, dramatic event. He breathed upon his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There he was with his disciples and he breathed upon them. However that happened, whatever that looked like, he breathed upon them. Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the following thing he says to them, after having breathed upon them and, and, and making this dramatic command, the Bible says that Jesus spoke to them and says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of responsibility. That's huge, man. If you have received the Holy Spirit, perhaps the same responsibility he placed on his disciples has been given to you. That you have that mantle of forgiveness, that mantle of love, that garment. That word garment and mantle is the same, same word. You have that mantle of covering. You have a responsibility. You have the power to, to cover the shame of those who have found themselves in shameful situations. To, to just to keep it, you know. Now there are times when there are people and we see this all the time in the world that we live in, people who intentionally harm, who intentionally hurt, and try to cover up their intentions of being evil. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about intentional harm and intentional sin. I'm talking about the inadvertent. I'm talking about the things that happen to people, the mistakes that people make. And, and rather than shaming them and degrading them, we can cover and keep those things from damaging a person's reputation. I'm talking about that kind of love. You have been given a tremendous responsibility. And we can love those who intentionally sin by walking with them and, and to, to find a way to, to make them accountable and responsible for what they do, to convince them that repentance and turning away from their sinful ways is the way of healing. We have a responsibility. So I want to challenge you this morning, all of us, because we all bear the image of God. It's inescapable. God's imprint is on you. You look like God in some way, fashion. You have your own 
will like God, you are creative like God, you, you, you have intelligence, you, have, you, you will exist for eternity, whether in heaven or in hell. There are aspects about your life that are inescapably like God. But we not only bear his image, we are called to be like God in behavior, in our moral life, in spirituality. So I wanna challenge you this morning to be like God. Not just to look like, but to be like God. Carry with you a mantle, that garment, that covers over the shame of others. Some of us, we just, we take that and we have it, and we just robe ourselves, you know, we walk around, you know, to, to cover our own shame. Cover the shame of those around you. Cover those that find themselves shamefully exposed. Don't tell the stories that shouldn't be told. Don't mock those that, that, that find themselves in, in, in situations that, um, that are harmful and painful. And by doing so, we'll look more like God. This is how we grow in love. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. And I pray, Father God, for a people, a community of those who love you so much that we love the things you love. And somehow, Lord God, you have a tremendous, a tremendous love for humanity. Enough that you were willing to go to the cross to cover us, to make atonement for us, to take our shame and make it as if it never happened. Lord, we don't understand it in a, in a world of, of justice. We don't understand it in a world where, where we are expected to be accountable for for the things that we do, and we must, and we should. But these are the things that we ought to do. This is, this is, this is, what, this is the world you created for us, Lord, a world where there is justice. But alongside your justice is grace. And Father, we thank you that we've been called to be ministers of grace, that there is enough of this garment, enough of the covering, for our families, for wives and husbands, for friends, for neighbors, strangers, Lord, those that find themselves hurting, vulnerable, and exposed. I pray we be like the older sons, compassionate enough, respectful enough, not to tell the stories of shame, not to perpetuate a person's brokenness, but to love them back to health and healing. This is your will for us this morning here in Inglewood. I thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? I don't know if God has spoken to you. He definitely speaks to me whenever I read his word. There's something living about the word of God. There's something alive that when I open the Bible... And I think that I'm reading it. And, and, I, and I open it and I begin to look at the pages and I think that I'm reading it. Because this word is living, it begins to read me. It reads me. It looks at me and begins to speak to me about my inconsistencies and your inconsistencies. And as much as I try to read to understand it, it's reading and understanding me. It's judging me, it's telling me something, it's speaking to me. 
And this morning, if God has spoken to you, this is one voice. Now, you might sometimes not listen to the voice of your husband or wife or your parents. There's times we find ourselves in situations where we don't listen to those voices. But this is one voice we can't afford not to listen to, the, the voice of God. And if God has spoken to you, if there's an opportunity for you to carry that garment of love, to carry with you that garment of love that covers over the shame and the sinfulness of other people. If God has spoken to you and, and you say, you know what, I know that I have it within me to be silent in issues that bring disgrace to my brother, my sister. I have it within me to be able to keep silent, to, to just carry the burden with them, to love them back to health and healing. Oh God, give us that ability, breathe upon us this morning to receive the Holy Spirit, that we might forgive sins, that we might cover over faults. My God, that we might help others in their brokenness to find restoration. If that's you, why don't you come to the altar this morning? Come and let God do a work in your life. Speak to him this morning. Just lay it all before God this morning. Pray, pray for yourself, pray for your family. Pray for those around you. The things that you had to see uh, accidentally know that you, things that you know, you want to cover the shame and, and the exposure of other people. It's up to you this morning. God is with you here this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is called. Come to the end.